Welcome to Do We Know Things, a podcast where we examine things we think we know about sex. Content warning. This podcast will include discussions of medical treatments and genital cutting, mostly about penile circumcision. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Lisa Don Hamilton, professor of psychology and sex educator. Today on Do We Know Things, the controversy of penile circumcision. Circumcision is an emotional, important, and highly divisive topic. If you don't have a penis or aren't a parent to a kid with one, you probably haven't had to think too much about circumcision. Even if you do have a penis, you still probably don't spend a lot of time thinking about circumcision. But the decision to circumcise or not circumcise is a really big deal for many. I've wanted to do an episode about the research on circumcision for a long time, but had avoided the topic because of the sensitivity of the issue. No matter what I say, people are bound to be mad about it. Penile circumcision is the removal of the foreskin, the skin that goes over the head of the penis. This is usually a decision made by parents when a child is an infant. Most people are pretty happy with whatever they have, circumcised or not. Those who are unhappy with their foreskin can have it removed as an adult. Those who are unhappy about being circumcised, however, don't really have an easy way to reverse that decision. Some see penile circumcision as genital mutilation, while for others it's crucial for health or religious reasons. On this episode, I'll explore the controversies around penile circumcision. Does it affect penile sensitivity? Does it offer health benefits? Is it ethical? And why do we see penile genital surgery as different than other kinds of genital surgery? That's coming up on Do We Know Things. But first, on episode 52 of the podcast, The Nightmare of Endometriosis, I missed some details that I wanted to add here. Thanks to guest Leonore for pointing these out. Although endometriosis often affects the pelvic region, people can have lesions in many other parts of the body, such as on the diaphragm, in the lungs, and in some cases in the brain. There's also a difference between endometriosis, which is tissue on the outside of the uterus, versus adenomyosis, which is when the tissues are in the uterine muscle itself. This misunderstanding is another reason why people are misdiagnosed. If during a laparoscopic surgery, the surgeon doesn't move the organs around in order to check the appendix, the bowels, the diaphragm, etc., the endometriosis tissue might be missed altogether. Another important point that I wanted to add is that medical professionals and the general public often talk about surgery for endometriosis as being, quote, more invasive, but medications like the GnRH agonists and antagonists can cause side effects that can be also considered very invasive. Although they're not physically going in and opening up your body, they can be very disruptive to your life and to your body. If you haven't listened to episode 52 on endometriosis yet, I highly recommend you check it out. It was fascinating. Okay, now on to the circumcision. Matt and I have already decided that we'll probably do a follow-up episode to this one because it is such a complicated topic, and I really want to hear from my listeners what their thoughts are, experiences are, and also if I get any of the research wrong. The contact info is on the website at doweknowthings.com. 
You can find me on Instagram at Do We Know Things, or you can send an email to doweknowthings at gmail.com. And I'll repeat that at the end of the show as well. So I wanted to preface this by saying that I am not a person with a penis. So this topic is pretty far from my area of expertise as a human and as a researcher. Um, and also a big part of this is also is the religious aspect. And I am not religious at all. Like my family, my parents, my grandparents, like nobody were churchgoers. I'm culturally Christian. Um, like I celebrate Christmas, but religion just wasn't a part of my life. So I don't think I can understand the religions, religious significance of circumcision. Uh, but I did want to bring at least someone with a penis onto this episode. So I thought it was fitting to invite back to the show occasional contributor and script wizard Matt Tunnicliffe to share his thoughts and offer a male perspective on circumcision. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for having me back, Lisa Dawn. Thanks for representing, as it were. <laughs> Yes. So I just talked about my like religious perspective or that I don't really have a religious perspective and I, I don't really have any connection to religion. Where are you on that spectrum? Yeah, I'm only slightly more. I mean, my parents were, my dad was slightly more religious. Um, I was raised Anglican, but I would, I would certainly call myself a non-practicing Anglican. I didn't go to church all that much when I was a kid. And so I don't think it was uh, really behind my parents' decision um, when when I was uh, uh, when they were making that decision for me. Um, so yeah, so that's where I'm coming from. Really, uh, maybe one degree higher than you on the on the religiosity scale. Mm -hmm. But you do have a penis, so you have that level of expertise, which I definitely don't have. Yeah, and this is such a fascinating topic because penises are for boys are for men are such a huge thing, right? They're 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 your whole id sort of thing, and 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 the biggest decision you make about your penis is something that's not made for you. It's something that your parents make for you in the hours or days after you're born for a, for a lot of people, right? And and um, you have no, you have no say in it, really. I mean, some some people obviously get circumcised as adults, but but you know, a lot of people get most people get circumcised, I would say as as um, as, as newborns. So it's a fascinating topic to go into. And um, it, it's a really interesting conundrum for most guys who don't have that sort of, you know, it's something that that, that shapes their life kind of their or at least their, their life with their penis, but they have no no, uh, no say over. So um, do you want to give us some background on what the numbers say about uh, circumcision rates in Canada? Yeah, so as you noted, we're in Canada. And currently, Canada has pretty low circumcision prevalence, which I actually didn't realize until, until I started digging into the research. So a recent estimate that's kind of cited everywhere is that 32% of people with penises are currently circumcised in Canada. And the rates of newborns, so like for kids being born now, um, the rates of their circumcisions vary dramatically across provinces. Um, apparently, BC has pretty high numbers, but Nova Scotia, it's like 1%. Uh, and across Canada, I think the average now is like 9 or 10%. Um, so the numbers are low. And it's dropped a lot since the 70s when we were both born, where it was as high as 70% of people with penises were getting circumcised. Yeah, I mean, that, that's wild. Um, and so for the record, I have to say I am circumcised. Um, my So that makes me part of the 32% of Canadian males that, that were circumcised. And um, 
you know, it's it's one of those things that you never even realize when you're young that there's a difference in penises um, until you kind of hit grade school, junior high, and you go into locker rooms and it's like, wait a second, you know, penises are a different size. And, and so I, I, I remember, you know, as a kid, never kind of, you know, my penis was my penis. Um, but when, you know, suddenly when I was a tween or maybe even younger than a tween, I remember asking my mom, it's like, mom, what, what, what gives like some penises that are, are different than others. <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, you know, this, this, this thing called circumcision and, um, you know, and, and you were circumcised, but some people weren't. And, uh, you know, and, and her explanation to me was, well, it was, you know, um, when I asked, well, why am I circumcised? It's like, well, it was the seventies and everyone was doing it. Her doctor recommended it. So she just mm -hmm. did it. So, um, uh, so, so that, that that sort of stuck me. And what stuck me with me even more, though, is when I asked her, you know, well, was it bad? Did it hurt or whatever? <laughs> and she was like, "Oh yeah, it was bad. There was blood everywhere." And that sort of oh, image God. is like stuck <laughs> with me. That it was a traumatic experience for me. You know, when I was there too old, and and I and I can't remember it, of course. So so yeah, mm -hmm. but it was a, but it was a trauma that happened to me um, so many years ago now. It sounds like it was pretty distressing for your mom too. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think I think it, it was. Um, you know, I think I think they thought it was worse than it that it was going to be. I haven't talked with her about it in you know forty years, but uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it was it was more than they expected when when it actually happened. Absolutely, and the pressure from the doctor—not the pressure, but the recommendation from the doctor—and you growing up, just assuming that your penis was normal. And I think, of course, we always assume whatever we're raised with is normal. Uh, but this is such a cultural phenomenon, and we can see how it's shifted in Canada. And I'll get to that kind of some reasons for that in a minute. But if you look globally. Uh, the penile circumcision rates are dramatically different depending on the country. So as I said, currently the estimate in Canada is 32%. In the U.S., it's a lot higher, like 60 or 70%. The U.K. is 20%. If we look in Afri North African and Middle Eastern countries, most places it's above 90%. And then places in Asia like China and India are like 12 and 14%. And I'll, what I'll do, there's a, a map that uh, Twitter user India in Pixels posted on Twitter based on data from kind of the, the big representative study from various countries. Uh, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can check it out. And I also wanted to note circumcision is part of religious and cultural practices of Muslims, uh, Jewish people, but it's also practiced by lots of non-Muslims and non-Jews and like there's no religious purpose for a lot of people, which I also find kind of fascinating. Um, and there's the cultural influence. So when you were born, it was kind of the norm in Canada to circumcise a penis. And since then, there's been a shift in the attitude in Canada um, that this is no longer considered a medically necessary practice or a medically useful practice. And so in the 80s, the it was removed from the Medicare coverage in Canadian provinces. So if parents want it now, they have to pay for it. Um, it doesn't just happen as part of medical care in Canada. Um, and then in the 90s and later, like it's been repeated, the Canadian Pediatric Society recommends against it. Most Canadian organizations do not recommend that it's done. Um, and you can contrast this with the U.S. that doesn't necessarily recommend, but the American Association of Pediatrics 
uh, statement uh, from 2012, which they still support today, says uh, that although the health benefits are not great enough to recommend routine circumcision, the benefits are sufficient to justify this procedure for newborns. So in the U.S., the medical societies are recommending or kind of leaning (laughs) towards circumcision. And in Canada, they're recommending against that um, I mean that makes a lot of sense. That, that sort of to, to pick up on my story. So mm-hmm. in in 2013, uh, my wife and I were expecting our our, our first our only child, and um, and we learned uh, it was going to be a boy um, for sure. And um, so that that sort of set off the sort of idea of like, well, you know, is, is he going to be circumcised? Um, and you know, it, it got me thinking because you know. I mean, I think a lot of the times, you know, you want your progeny to look like you and and whatever. So, I mean, there's a lot, I think there's a lot of pressure in that way of, of thinking about circumcision in that way. But what I was surprised that there was no, um, you know, all the sort of, uh, through all the sort of pre-birth um, planning and things like that, there was never any mention of circumcision. There was many, never any... Um, uh, you know, well, here are the pros and cons of circumcision. Here, here's what you have to do if you want circumcision. Any of that was never even offered, and so you know, it, mm-hmm. I was like, you know, but this is obviously an option because obviously I had it done, you know, back in the '70s. So, so um, I went down kind of the same research, you know, internet research um, hole that I'm sure a lot of. Um, new new parents to be are kind of doing is like do i want this for my child or not and yeah i found it i found it a place where there wasn't a lot of resource there wasn't a lot of concrete answers and um and uh it was it was very hard to make a decision on circumcision um also because it's never talked about it's not something you can talk about with casual friends or even friends Mm -hmm. who have never faced this choice because they're either not parents or they're they're not expecting um male-born children like it's it's um it's it's an interesting uh dilemma I, i ended up just talking with an old university friend of mine who did have two boys and 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 kind of talking through um the decision that way but but you know, if you didn't have that person, uh, so, you know, someone to talk to, it was it was incredibly difficult when you're asked looking for answers about circumcision. Now, of course, if if it's kind of been removed from Medicare and kind of no longer recommended by um, the Canadian Pediatric Association, I mean that that's probably um, answers a lot of questions. But I had I had a lot of questions and and, and, a, and a bit of angst as well about what to do um, when this was happening you know, back in 2013 and um, and didn't have a lot of places to turn. Yeah, and I imagine because there wasn't the religious expectation that even your parents, like they might have been able to give insight on why they made their decision, but it wasn't as though it was part of like a religious tradition that they wanted you to carry on, for example. No, exactly. And, and you know, and they, they, they got it done because their doctor said, do it. And so they did it. So, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And were you happy with your parents' decision for you? You know, it's, it's hard because <laughs> I've never known any other kind of penis except for the one I have. So, so, um, but you know, but I, I, I have been happy with it. It's, it, it's fine. But you know, I'm sure, um, had I not been circumcised, I would have also um, been fine with that too. But um, one thing I did think about, um, and I didn't really share it with anyone, but I'll share it now on the podcast. Is I, I, I was thinking <laughs> about, you know, because you think about. It, it, there's a lot of thoughts that go through your head when you when you have a child and and you know someone that will go on in the future generations and represent your represent yourself and things like that but mm-hmm. um and 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 become a mature adult and things like that but one thing i was thinking is what do 
other people prefer out of circumcised penises I, I, um, in in terms of in sexually kind of thing. So mm -hmm. what do what do other uh, women prefer? What do women prefer? What do men prefer even um, in terms of uh, in terms of circumcised or 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 uncircumcised penises going for, for their partners? Mm hmm. There, I was actually surprised how many studies there were on this when, when you first mentioned it to me, like when we first talked about this, uh, I was like, oh, I imagine there's a, a couple studies, but there was actually more than I expected. And conveniently, one of them kind of compiled all of the studies that had been done that they could find globally, uh, which was really useful. And what you see is the and most of these studies were done, or all of these studies that were collected in this one uh, review article were done on women's preferences for um, men's bodies. And they totally varied by culture. <laughs> so if you were in a place where circumcision tended to be dominant, you see that there's like a bit of a skew towards preferring circumcised penises. And if you're in a place where circumcision was not dominant, you see a skew towards preferring not circumcised penises. Uh, one study that was done on a mostly Canadian, mostly non-religious sample um, found, and they asked women and men who had sex with men, um, what their preference was, and then also um, what their level of satisfaction was with their current partner's penis. Um, and they found that women, basically women who were with men who had circumcised penises or uncircumcised had when they asked them to rank like how satisfied with you on all of these things, they said they were basically happy with it, um, like equally on both sides. And uh, men, though, had a preference for uncircumcised penises. So they preferred their partners to be uncircumcised. And when they asked women just generally about their preference for different sex acts, um, they did say that for oral and vaginal sex, they preferred circumcised penis. There was like a slight preference. Um, but for men, um, for both happiness with current partner and overall preference for sex with other men, um, they preferred uncircumcised. Wow. So yeah, I mean, you know, and, and it, it's funny because, you know, you also think about those other stats that we talked about, um, you know, that that's gone from being you know, the majority of people being circumcised, the majority of, of Canadian men being circumcised, going to, a, a, you know, to, to now to a small minority of, of Canadian men being um, uncircumcised, depending on the, the province, like, depending on your age group, if you are, if you're sort of in your 40s now, and depending on your number of partners and things, you may never have seen an uncircumcised penis. But whereas, you know, nowadays, um, depending on your partners, you may never have seen a circumcised penis. Yeah, and I remember conversations when I was younger with friends about whose penis was circumcised, and a lot of people hadn't even seen an uncircumcised penis ever in their life. Um, one thing I always remind people is an uncircumcised penis and a circumcised penis look identical when they're erect, right? Because the foreskin pulls back behind the head. They look the same when they're erect. The only time you can really tell the difference is when they're flaccid or if you're like manually masturbating it because then the foreskin moves more and is like a built-in masturbation sleeve. There you go. Good advice. Good advice, Isabella, <laughs> as always. But we haven't really talked about, you know, what I was researching back in, in 2013 is like, what are the health benefits? What are the mm -hmm. what are the sort of pros and cons of um, outside, out, out of the bedroom kind of thing of, of, um, of uh, being circumcised versus being non-circumcised? Mm -hmm. Let's see. I would say the proposed harm, so the things that people are concerned about being the harm, um, are the non-consensual 
surgery on an infant penis, um, the risk for scarring, um, potential risk for reduced sensitivity, um, and in extreme cases, loss of the penis altogether. So there was a really famous case of Bruce Reimer in Canada whose penis was burnt off. And there's a book about it. Editor's note, this book is called As Nature Made Him, The Boy Who Has Raised a Girl. Obviously, that's a very extreme circumstance, but it has definitely happened more than once that someone has, has had their penis irrep irreparably harmed. Um, proposed benefits include, well, one, participation in religious rituals. So rituals can be really important. Um, there's also evidence of showing potentially reduced risk of infection. So this could be urinary tract infections, um, STIs and HIV, and reduced risk of penile and cervical cancer. So those are all things that are the proposed benefits of getting circumcised. Something I didn't mention in this list when I was talking with Matt is phimosis, which is when the foreskin can't be retracted. This is normal in newborns, and the foreskin becomes retractable as the person gets older. But for some people, it doesn't, and that can cause a lot of problems. Maybe we should go through some of these and look at the research. Yeah, for sure. So kind of the... I want to say the easiest one to address, but it, it's not easy in that there's like no clear answer <laughs> is, does it affect sensitivity? And this is a really common belief that gets talked about a lot. So there's this idea that uncircumcised penises are more sensitive because they spend their day like in a protective cocoon of the foreskin, <laughs> whereas circumcised penises are like bashing around on clothes, etc., um, and potentially getting desensitized. So that's kind of the belief about that. And it's so funny to me, there's like multiple layers of why this is a weird concern. So first of all, I think most penises are quite sensitive and most people are quite happy <laughs> with the level of sensitivity and sensation that they have with their penis. Um, but also there's this idea that sensitivity is better, but there's no reason to necessarily believe that. So for example, people with premature ejaculation often complain that they're too sensitive and they'll do things like um, put like uh, numbing agents on their penis to make it less sensitive so that they can last longer. Um, or a lot of times higher sensitivity means more risk for pain, right? So if you're more sensitive to sensation, you're also more sensitive to like feeling pain and discomfort. And so to me, just sensitivity is just a fact. It doesn't necessarily mean it's better or worse. But there has been a few studies done, and what they do in these studies is they take these, um, well, there's different stimuli, but the probably the most common is these very tiny filaments, um, like little skinny things, and they, um, and they are pressed up it, into the penis with like a, a specific force. So the device like can ap apply a specific level of force. Um, and you're supposed to say when you can feel it. So it starts off very gently, um, or with like a really thin filament, and then the filament gets bigger, or the pressure gets bigger. And so then the person says, okay, I feel it now. And so that's how pressure is often or sensitivity to pressure is determined. Um, they've also done stuff with like vibrations. So putting different vibratory stimuli and being like, okay, when can you feel it? When does it get uncomfortable? And some studies have shown that um, there is a difference with uncircumcised penises being more sensitive to pressure. Uh, 
Most studies have shown that there's no difference. Um, and particularly if you control for things like hypertension and diabetes, which affect blood flow, which the less blood flow there is, the less sensitivities there's going to be. And so when you're controlling for these other factors, there doesn't really seem to be a difference in sensitivity. Fascinating. So there's it's kind of a draw, right? There's no real winner, quote unquote, um, in terms mm -hmm. of uh, what is what is better, really. Exactly. That's my assessment. Because in any given sample, you're going to have variability in sensitivity, right? We all have differences in sensitivity. But the what causes that difference doesn't seem to be circumcision or not. Like that could be a tiny contributing factor, but it's likely other things that contribute to our level of sensitivity. So, so yeah, so it's kind of a draw when it comes to sensitivity. What about some of the health benefits of being circumcised versus uncircumcised? The health benefits, that is also like such a complicated area of research. And there are just hundreds of studies, both arguing about this from a theoretical and ethical perspective and other ones that are doing like randomized controlled trials, comparing different kinds of uh, like circumcised versus uncircumcised. Here's what I think <laughs> the kind of consensus is. Um, so the foreskin itself, so underneath the foreskin and the foreskin um, being near the urethra can potentially increase bacteria and other things. And so if a foreskin isn't cleaned regularly, more bacteria is going to be there. There is a slightly higher risk of some infections with when you have intact foreskin. Um, one thing I don't think people control for is are people cleaning their foreskin regularly? Um, but what we do know is when the, they're they do swabs of foreskin, for example. There is um, high levels of various bacteria. And this has been linked to higher levels of uh, urinary tract infection risks. Uh, and this, the most of the research on that is actually done in children. And so like infants and children who are uncircumcised are more likely to get a urinary tract infection. There doesn't seem to be a lot of research on how that applies to adult men. I want to jump in here and add some detail about this, because a lot of fuss gets made about the UTI risk. What I think is important is understanding the actual level of risk. UTIs for people with penises are fairly rare. A large Canadian study of almost 60,000 infants found that in the three years of data that they looked at, three out of a thousand babies who were circumcised were admitted to hospital with a UTI versus nine out of a thousand uncircumcised babies. Studies do consistently find that babies and children with uncircumcised penises have higher rates of UTIs, but overall, the levels of UTIs are low. Another important point is that there have been no randomized clinical trials on prevention of UTIs by circumcision, which means we can't say that circumcision causes the reduction in UTIs. There can be factors that differ systematically between people who choose to circumcise and those who do not. There was one study from Turkey that was a sort of randomized controlled trial of circumcision, but it started after the babies had their first UTI. So the control group was parents who refused to get their kids circumcised, so that was definitely not randomized. But there were two other randomized groups, one who got circumcised right away and one who got circumcised at six months after the first UTI. It was a small study, and there was no differences in the groups in the UTI rates, 
But on the swabs, the uncircumcised groups had much higher rates of bacteria that could cause UTIs. There's also a higher risk of penile cancer and cervical cancer in people who have um, uncircumcised male partners. Both cervical cancer and penile cancer are very, very rare. So, like, for example, the risk of penile cancer is like one in 100,000 in the general population um, compared to like one in 270 for testicular cancer. Um, And cervical cancer is equally as rare. And so there is some evidence that it does increase the risk. But if it's increasing the risk from like one in 100,000 to two or three in 100,000, so that's like a 200% increase, but it, it's still like a very minuscule health risk, it seems to me. Yeah, I mean, and so well, let's not call it a draw. Maybe there's a slight, um, <laughs> slight, slight advantage for circumcised people um, in, in this one, but um, it's there's, there's not much. And I mean, that's why that's what I found when I was when I again was when I was doing the research. It's like there's there's not much between the two camps. Um, and and you know that's that's what ultimately made it such a, a difficult decision when you're when you're when you're looking for help and and don't really um, have any anyone to talk to about it. So yeah, so that's so when I was you know coming trying to make that decision in, in 2013, you know it was so equal and and it was just hard to to, to know what to do in terms of getting making the right choice for your child. So anything else, Luston? Yeah, so the biggest evidence in favor of circumcision as a protective factor is as a protective factor against sexually transmitted infections and HIV. But almost all of this research is based in sub-Saharan Africa, so in countries with low levels of circumcision in Africa. And these are people who are, it's called voluntary circumcision. So they do this as a teen or an adult. And when randomized clinical trials are done in these various countries, it shows a pretty significantly reduced risk in transmitting and getting HIV um, when someone is circumcised as a teen or adult compared to when people aren't. And there's been a lot of arguments about this in terms of this seems to be almost a Western imperative. So like people from the U.S. going over and telling African men to get circumcised. Um, The argument is it's also voluntary. So these aren't infants getting circumcised. These are people who are um, being perhaps coerced, um, but also perhaps, you know, educated around circumcision that it might reduce their risks and the risks of their partners. And that's really like the strongest evidence is that um, these people getting circumcised as adults are at reduced risk of transmitting and receiving HIV in this very specific population. And to my knowledge, there's not a ton of research or a, like we don't know really how it applies outside of that context. And there's not strong evidence that there's differences in HIV or STI rates for people who are circumcised as infants in when we look at other parts of the world. And so that's an area that I think is still, we need to know more about. Yeah, yeah. As, as always, more study is needed on these important issues, really. And it's important. Mm-hmm. That's, if there's one thing about this podcast, it's, it's show me is more sex education research is needed. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so what are some of the other issues um, surrounding circumcision then, Lisa Dawn? 
One thing that I've been reading a lot about since starting the research for this podcast is from through is work done by bioethicists and human rights scholars, and there is a lot of ink spilled about whether or not it is ethical to circumcise a, a non-consenting person. And bioethicists and human rights scholars have written extensively about the bias in many cultures when we look at different kinds of genital cutting. So if we just look at it in general, if we're talking about vulvas, clitorises, penises, we think of the removal of tissue in those areas very differently. Um, so, for example, outside of the cultures where it's happening, genital cutting on a vulva or clitoris of young people is referred to as female genital mutilation. And the World Health Organization has stated that, quote, it is opposed to all types of female genital mutilation and is opposed to healthcare providers performing female genital mutilation. And one comparison has been made to intersex people. So these are people that we've talked about on previous episodes of Do We Know Things, um, but people whose genitalia are born and it's not clearly penis or vagina, it's intersex. Um, and so intersex organizations have been calling for that those standards to be applied to intersex young people and saying, don't operate on our genitals before we can consent. Um, you know, if you're saying female genital mutilation is a violation of human rights, working on our genitals and doing surgery on our genitals without our consent or knowledge should also be a violation of human rights. Um, but in most places, these non-consensual surgeries are seen as standard medical practice. Uh, Brian Earp, who's a bioethicist who has written a lot about this topic, so he compares um, genital cutting that happens for religious or cultural contexts in non-Western countries to the genital surgeries that happen in Western countries. So the former is seen as a violation of human rights when done to a vulva, but then when people opt to get genital surgeries or genital piercings, etc., as adults, it rarely raises an eyebrow. And he argues the reason is most likely because we assume those opting for piercing or genital surgery, say reduction of the labia minora, are at an age where they're able to consent and are likely, mostly, willingly consenting. So for vulvas, there's this consensus that genital alteration is only acceptable with consent. And Earp argues that the same logic should apply for penile circumcision so, and says, you know, why don't we care about consent of those receiving penile circumcision? And there are people who feel really strongly who have been circumcised as children themselves, um, that they should not have been, that it was harmful for them, that they did not consent. And in San Francisco in 2011, a group of these people, they called themselves intactivists, petitioned to have penile circumcision banned in the city of San Francisco. And so it actually got onto the 2011 ballot before being removed because it didn't align with the law. So in the states and in California, medical procedures are regulated by the state, not by cities. So it wasn't something that San Francisco could actually vote on. And some men who've been circumcised as infants attempt surgery or engage in stretchy, sketchy stretching treatments as adults to try to recreate the foreskin um, and say they're traumatized of having a part of their body removed. I mean, yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, I think back to, you know, when I was a day old kind of thing and, and, the, and the, it, it was a traumatic 
procedure, it all worked out fine. But had it not, I would have, you know, I would have carried a grudge against my parents for the rest of my life, maybe if if, if, if things had gone wrong and and uh, during the procedure. So it, yeah, it's it's a fascinating sort of ethical thing that's still out there. So mm-hmm. what about the idea of of religion or cultural reasons for for um, circumcision that still you know is very prevalent today? Yeah, and this is a really big deal for a lot of people. And circumcision and the rituals surrounding it have a lot of importance in, like I said, Muslim cultures, Jewish cultures, and the the cultures themselves should be able to make those decisions. And I think anytime you have someone from outside of a given culture looking in on and judging the, the practices of a, of a religious or other culture, there's always going to be misunderstanding and harm. And I really think that um, in many ways, I feel like people should who aren't part of those cultures should stay out of it. Um, but that's clearly not what we're seeing with genital cutting on vulvas, for example, right? Like we have the Western world condemning it. Um, and so, yeah, it's this weird dichotomy. Um, that being said, um, men who've had themselves circumcised and are very happy with it, um, and it was part of their religious tradition, and then choose to do that to their own children, I think they are probably pretty assured that the children will be happy with it. Like that has been the experience through generations in their life. Um, and there's no reason to think that that wouldn't continue. Fascinating stuff, Lisa Dawn. As always, more study is needed. Uh, more education, I think, is needed. And mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a subject that we don't talk enough about. And um, and always uh, a sort of eye-opening one that you always bring to us on the podcast. So thanks for having me on. Honestly, the research for this episode had me going in circles. I can see why there are such ongoing debates about this issue. My personal perspective is that a person has the right to choose what happens to their body. So I'm pretty firmly against neonatal circumcision. But also, I don't have a penis or any kids to choose for. My personal beliefs aside, I know that circumcision is an extremely safe procedure that the majority of people are happy with. There are strong cultural and religious motivations to engage in circumcisions for cultures and religions that I am not part of, and I really just don't feel qualified to comment on any of those aspects. Some argue that circumcision can be justified for health reasons. I read many of the health research papers, and while there does seem to be at least some health benefit, the health risks of not being circumcised are also pretty rare. Some people look at that risk data and say it is a moral and ethical imperative to circumcise for health reasons. Others look at that data and say, "Mm, these are relatively minor risks. Additionally, while there have been some clinical trials of circumcision in Africa that show reduced risk of HIV transmission, the population level stats are not clear. Some studies show that at a population level, circumcised men are at less risk for STIs and HIV compared to uncircumcised men. But then some show no difference at all. This includes studies of gay and straight people done in many places around the world. If health is a concern, a person can choose for themselves to get circumcised when they're older, but there's also higher risks of complications if circumcision is done as an adult or a teen. This topic just really does not have an easy answer. As I mentioned off the top, I will do a follow-up episode, so I want to hear from you. Please send me emails or DMs at the contact info I'm about to rattle off. 
That's all for this episode. If you have any feedback or peer review of this episode, I'm always excited to hear from you. You can send me a voice memo recorded on your phone or just a written email to doweknowthings at gmail.com. You can also find a script for this episode with references and extra info on the website at doweknowthings.com. All music and sounds in this episode by Jeremy Dahl. Check him out at paleblue.ca. Script assistance by Matt Tunnicliffe. I'm Lisa Don Hamilton. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at DoWeKnowThings, and of course you can email me at DoWeKnowThings at gmail.com. DoWeKnowThings is released every second Monday, and you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. Of course, I would love it if you could subscribe and rate and review to the podcast on iTunes. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time on Do We Know Things. <laughs>